Thanks, John. Amen. It's great to be together. Great to be back with you guys back here at Betts. Last time I was with you was uh, over at the uh, in Santa Monica. I know some of you uh, like that better. Some of you like this better, whatever. But it's just good to be together, right? And uh, it's uh, it's it's really encouraging. We're closing out this series uh, today that we we did the same one in, in South Bay. If uh, if you're visiting with us. Um, we are a sister congregation that meets in Manhattan Beach called South Bay Church. Uh, so this is the Westside Church. I'm a, I'm a full-time minister for the uh, South Bay Church. And we've been doing the same series. We work together a lot, our two, our two congregations. We, uh, our staff uh, meets together uh, often, and uh, we kind of work together. So we've been doing the same series. So I want to, before we get into the last topic, which is rich in love, I just want to kind of review a little bit. Um, I know I listened to Ken's sermon last week. I didn't get to listen to all the sermons from the, from the Westside but uh, I will share just a few things that, I, that I've gotten personally out of the series, and hopefully that will kind of set us up for this last, uh, this last one. But, uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm really, I, I just do want to say personally just how much I love you guys and love your church and love uh, the Westside Church, love so many uh, people here. Uh, I know best the, the staff uh, because, like I said, we meet together. Uh, you know, it's been great getting to know Angela the last a year or two, and uh, she's done so much for our singles ministry and so much for our church. She pours out so much. She's so talented. It's cool that I can have a friend that, you know, went to Harvard and stuff, and that uh, makes me feel smarter. And uh, But she is uh, she's so awesome. I've known Martin and Tina a long time, and uh, they they used to uh, lead the teens in, in Palos Verdes. And I'll never forget actually going to their wedding because their wedding was interesting because you had people from the inner city and you had people from Mexico, and you had white, uptight, rich people from Palos Verdes. Just, you know, a real mix of people there at their wedding. It was just, it was like nothing else I'd ever seen. It was just like so cool that the kingdom of God is breaking through, you know, to these communities. And uh, I just love Martin and Tina. And they have been tested and tried and refined by fire. And I'm really so proud of them. And uh, just, uh, you, know, you know, I know they're, they've got on their heart... Uh, passion for the Latin ministry, and that is so important in our, in our city, and I just really, really appreciate them, and I'm also so grateful for Ken and Lena, so proud of them, uh, stepping up and leading the church here, and leading the family ministry, and, uh, you know, Ken did a lesson for our staff meeting last week that was so good, uh, and uh, just really moved my heart, I just appreciate his conviction, and uh, his determination to see God's will done, so really, really proud of, of, of the staff, but really proud of all of you guys, I know it's been a rough couple years in different ways, but uh, you guys are here, and you're, you want to please God, and you want to move forward, and uh, you want to do something for the Lord, and I, I really applaud you and really appreciate you, and it's great to feel honored to get to speak, speak to you. So thank you, and uh, uh, looking forward to, to being able to look at God's Word together. So what this series is all about is really it's about the nature of God, and understanding God and understanding His nature is key to you living the life that God wants for you to live. If you ask, you know, if you take a poll of anybody here in L.A. and ask, you know, what do you want out of life? What are you looking for? Uh, most people will say, I just want to be happy, right? I just want to be happy. I just want to be at peace. I just want to be content. And God, God has a plan for us that it's not just to be happy. It's greater than that. It's to have eternal significance. And it's to belong to Him. It's to, it, and it's... But it includes, happiness comes along with it, but it's so much more than that. But a lot of, of understanding God's plan for you starts with how you view God. And how you view God can, can depend on 
your approach to God, it can also depend on kind of how you grew up. It can depend on your, your earthly father, because a lot of us, uh, for better or worse, we sometimes project how we view God uh, based on how we view our earthly father. Uh, and so there can be baggage that comes along with that. But, but no matter where your starting point is, the way you get to know God is through the revealed scriptures. And so everybody can get that correct view of God. But, so this, this series has been going through some qualities of God that you see not just in one passage, like it's in Psalm 145, but it's in many, many passages. Dozens of passages have these same qualities about God. That God is gracious, that God is compassionate, that He's slow to anger, and He's abounding in love. So for us, when we talked about God's grace and compassion, we talked about, you know, when you, the first thing you think about when you think about God's grace and compassion, you think about the cross. And you think about what God did for us on the cross and, and sending Jesus. And God's amazing grace that we can be saved no matter how much you've messed up, no matter what your life is like, He's saying, I, I want you to be my son or daughter. And I, my grace is there for you to be able to become a disciple and, and, and to have all your sins forgiven. But in our, I, I don't know how, what angle you guys took as you looked at grace. We, we had done a, some sermons about that fairly recently. So we, we talked about a different part of grace that you see in the Bible that I had never really studied before. So this was really good for me. That in the Bible, a lot of times the Bible uses the word grace when it talks about the gifts God gives us. Because the gifts that God gives us are by His grace also, aren't they? You know, whatever gift you have, you didn't really do anything to deserve it. It's probably how you grew up. It might have been your genes. Uh, you know, I do not have the gift of playing basketball. Like, you guys are going to be playing basketball. I, I've tried. Uh, for a while there, I was leading the church in Long Beach, and basketball was big in Long Beach. And I really practiced, and I tried. And I would try to go out to the, you know, to the, uh, uh, to the park and play with guys and, you know, try to invite them to church and stuff. I realized that I was doing more damage to the kingdom of God by doing that. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm a minister. I want to invite you to my church. And the guys are like, oh, you're a minister. Big surprise, you know, kind of thing. Whereas my son, you know, my son is getting, he's developing that gift. He has a lot more of the gift of basketball. So I tell him all the time, you're going to be able to do that. You're going to be able to go to the park and reach out to people and stuff. It's really cool. But anyway, whatever gift you have, you can, you can sometimes feel like God is not fair in the gifts that you get. Instead of God is gracious, you can feel like God is not fair. Remember the story of the, the parable of the gifts, the parable of the talents, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible? The one guy, the wicked lazy servant, his view of God was, God, you're not fair. You, sow, you, you try to reap seed where you haven't sown. You demand more than you give. You're not fair. So I'm just going to hide what I have and just try not to get in trouble. That was his approach. And so when, when we have this view of God that he's not fair, it, it affects what we do with what we have. And it affects how grateful we are. And, but if you understand God's grace, then you're grateful. And grateful people are happy people. You might think happy people are grateful people, but it's not, it's not true. You're, when you're grateful, you're happy. And so really understanding God's grace will lead you to that decision, and seeing Him as gracious and compassionate will, will, will help you to get... The, the grateful perspective you need to have. And that will help you enjoy life a lot more and help you be a lot more effective in becoming who God wants you to be. Uh, sl slow to anger, we talked about last week. I just want to talk about that for a minute. You know, all the passages that say God is slow to anger also add that he does not leave sins unpunished. And, 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 and Ken preached last week about how there are some things, there are injustices in our, in our world that we need to be angry about. And it's not that God doesn't get angry. God doesn't sin in his anger. And thankfully, he is slow to anger. 
But, but, but he does not leave the sins unpunished that he, need, he needs to deal with. He needs to deal with things sometimes. It's interesting, the first place this passage uh, is ever used, that he, God is slow to anger, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, bad love, is in Exodus 34, as he passed in front of Moses and proclaimed his name. Uh, anybody know what the context of Exodus 34 is? It is when God's people... Moses went up to get the law from God on the mountain. He was gone for 40 days. They were not only getting God's word in terms of spirituality, but they were building an entire nation. Because you have all these people, thousands and thousands of people who were in slavery. They come out of Egypt, and now they need to establish a nation. And so they, they didn't have a government. They didn't have anything because they were all slaves. So, so Moses is getting from God all the rules and the regulations, and, and as well as the spiritual laws. So he's up there a while. And they go, you know, we don't know what happened to him. He's been gone a long time. So they decided, we, we, we need to take, the matter, make, take matters into our own hands. And so they decide to make a golden calf and bow down and worship this golden calf. And so Moses gets really, really ticked, throws those tablets down and breaks them. He's mad. He makes them drink water that has the gold calf ground up in the water, you know. But God says, you know, look at me. My nature, I am slow to anger. And yet I don't leave the guilty unpunished. And there was punishment that came. But God was compassionate. So the point I'm making is that we can all be like those people in our, in our life. Why did they make the gold cap? Because they didn't trust God. Why did, they, why, why did they want to bow down to that? Because it's something they could see. They want to depend on something they could see rather than God who they can't see. Don't we all struggle with that? They wanted to be like the nations around them. All the nations around them had all these other gods. So they, they wanted to be like everybody else. Don't we struggle with trying to be like everybody else sometimes? And thankfully, when we are in sin, God is slow to anger. But the point is that we are go- going to face him eventually, so the, the thing to do is to get humble now. God is slow to anger, so don't be slow to surrender. Because God, when, when, we, when, we, when we do surrender to him, he's always gracious. The other time it's used is in Numbers 14. That's only, uh, it, it's, it's a while later in the Bible, so I always thought it was kind of a long time later. It's actually only a few months later. That's when the ten spies went in and they brought back a bad report. And so they were all scared. Again, it was their sin. It was their, they, they didn't want to trust God. They didn't have faith. And yet God responded by being slow to anger. I wanted to show you this, this verse here before we, we jump into today's lesson. So Psalm 18 says, To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the devious you show yourself shrewd. What does that mean? I think it means that you, you will find, as we're talking about how you view God, you will experience God, you will understand God based on how you approach God. If you approach God stiff-necked, you know, we, we talked uh, about what it means to be stiff-necked in our sermon last week. You know, stiff-necked, it, mean, it doesn't mean, you know, you woke up and you can't, this happens to me sometimes. I'm like, Tessa says something to me, I'm like, yeah, honey? Uh, but that, it means that you won't bow, you won't surrender, you won't humble yourself. That's what it means to be stiff-necked. If you approach God with stiff-necked, no, I want my way, then you will find a God who is shrewd or who is trying to bring you down. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. If you want to approach God prideful and haughty, then you will not find a God who is necessarily gracious and compassionate. Right? Don't you get that out of that verse? You save the humble, but you bring low those whose eyes are haughty. I want to be saved. I would rather approach God with humility. And so if you approach God with humility, if, if, if you examine your own heart and, 
and approach God the way you should, then, then you will always find God is there to help you and to save you and to rescue you. And he has grace and his compassion and he's slow to anger. Praise God. So today we're going to talk about how God is rich in love. And uh, I appreciate uh, John sharing about my grandfather, uh, Ben Holt. Uh, you know, great guy. Uh, you know, I'm so thankful for my family. And uh, my dad, who married my mom, who was Ben Holt's daughter, uh, was, uh, was out here uh, for Thanksgiving and did a lesson about God's love. And I thought this lesson would be great. You know, I've, I've stolen a lot of things from my dad over the years. I stole his looks. I stole his body type. I stole his body hair. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, uh, but I, I still have a wrench I stole from him in high school uh, that I still use. He might not even know that I have. But, um, so I'm going to steal his lesson today. But uh, anyone here know the books of the Bible in order? Raise your hand if you know the books of the Bible in order. Okay, that's good. Amen. Uh, anybody know the names of the 12 apostles? I'm not, not going to make you assign them, but anybody? Okay, good. A few. Anybody know the 12 tribes of Israel? It's a little tougher. All right, good. We got a few. Anybody know the 10 spies that went into Israel? Yeah, that's a tough one, right? Here's one I know we all probably know. What is the greatest commandment? Raise, raise your hand if you know it. Okay, everybody knows that. Love the Lord your God. Yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We're going to sing a song right now that's based on that command, because we're not done singing. We're going to sing one more song. And, uh, and then we're going to jump into how that relates to God's love for us. All right, so let's all stand up. Let's sing uh, the greatest commandment, and then we'll keep going with the lesson here. All right, here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Sing that again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Oh, oh, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I will serve the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. With all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. Oh, oh, love serve the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. Or repeat after me.
Before the lesson, but it, you know, I was going to be talking about it in the lesson, so I thought we'll just sing it right there in the middle. So, good job. Way to, way to roll with it. Uh, so, that's the greatest commandment. Now, have you ever thought about if that's the greatest commandment, why is it in the Bible only three times? You know, it's in the Bible here in Mark 12. Let's all turn there, actually. Mark 12. What was happening here is. Uh, they were always trying to catch Jesus, you know, uh, saying the wrong thing. I mean, imagine that if, you know, you had to live a sinless life. Not only did you have to live a sinless life, but everybody's trying to look for you to mess up. Some of us might be that, it's like, like that at your job, right? You know, people start to know you're a Christian. You invite people to church. You get a reputation. So then they're like looking for you to mess up. Oh, let's see what he does or let's see what she does. And invariably we're going to blow it. Right, but then then you just go. You know what? I know I'm a I'm, I'm trying to be a Christian. I blew it. That's an opportunity just to say, you know what? I I'm a mess. That's why I need to go to church. <laughs> That's why I need Jesus. So you ought to come with me. But Jesus is surrounded by people that are constantly trying to find something that he some way he messes up. And he, and uh, here they're asking him. You know, they they quiz him on on things from the law and things like that. It says in verse uh, 13 of Mark 12, they sent him sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. So then they're, you know, they're, they're asking him this, they're asking him that, they're trying to, to, to catch him in something. Uh, skip down to verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, because they're, you know, they're trying to trip him up in, in their arguments about the law. Seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important one of all? And this is something that the rabbis would debate you know, of all these hundreds and hundreds of, of commandments, what was the most important one? Verse 29, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There is none other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, to love one's neighbor as themselves is much more than all whole birth offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Uh, you know, as I said, this, is, this commandment is only in the Bible three times. It's when... In Deuteronomy, when Moses first said it, and then it's here in Mark 12 when Jesus referred to it, 
And then it's also in Matthew 22, which is just a retelling of the exact same story. So it's not in the Bible a lot. And that's, you know, how we are, how we operate, you know, how the ministers are. You know, if, if we're in charge and this is the greatest commandment, we would put it in everything, you know, in every sermon. And it's on our billboard and it's, you know, remember, you've got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. This is our, this is our mission statement or this is our, you know what I mean? Like, we've got to make sure it's in there a lot. I mean, that's how we would do it. Why is it only in there three times? And, and this is what the, the angle that my dad took with the lesson uh, on th- in Thanksgiving is that perhaps it's not in there a lot because it is a commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. But, but really more than a commandment, it's a response. And what is in the Bible from the very beginning to the very end is God's love for us. I mean, it starts... In Genesis, that even God made humans in the beginning. Why? Because he wanted, if you are, want to show love, you need an object for your love. And he, he made human beings that were made in his likeness, that we share his, his character, we have his creativity, we have his ability to reason. Why? So that we could have a relationship with him. And he saw it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he made Eve. And, you know, from the very beginning, he showed compassion on Cain, even though he killed his brother and on and on and on, you see God's love and His grace and His compassion for His people throughout the story of the Bible. And so all the way through, you see God's love. And even when His people mess up, like for example in Jeremiah, uh, the prophet Jeremiah had a tough job. You know, he says at one point, I've been preaching for 23 years and still not one person has repented. That, that's a rough job. That's a rough ministry position, right Ken? No, 23 years. Not one person. But he just keeps going. And, and, and in the midst of all that, God says through Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's love is unlimited. God's love, you never wear it out. You never use it up. His love never ends is the nature of his love. And so understanding that, that, that love for God is about relationship is an important thing to get. Because if I were to ask you about your relationship with God, you know, somebody comes up to you having a D time or something and says, somebody says, you know, tell me about your relationship with God. How's it going? How's your relationship with God? The first thing that goes through our minds is usually the things that we do. Like, okay, well, I skipped a quiet time this week and, you know, I I, I messed up with, you know, had a temper mess up with my kids or I did this or I didn't do that. You know, that's how we think about our relationship with God in terms of things that we do for Him. And yet, if you were asking me about my relationship with my wife, you know, you say, we're about to celebrate our 22nd anniversary this month. 22 years of marriage. Yes, amen. Marriage in the kingdom is awesome. Uh, I can't imagine being married in the world, but in the kingdom, it's awesome. Uh, but if you were to ask me, you know, tell me about Dessa. You know, tell me about your wife. You know, you know me, but you don't know her. And you say, well, tell me about her. And I, and I said, well, you know, I... I uh, I make time to speak to her every night. Um, we have a planning time every week just to keep her happy. Um, you know, I do, I do the dishes often. I, I take out the trash because she expects me to do that. Uh, I clean the cars because that's my job. And, you know, if I'm on the computer and I'm working and typing and, and uh, you know, trying to get something done and she comes and tries to talk to me, I will stop. I'll stop what I'm doing on the computer and I'll turn around and I'll face her and I'll talk to her. You know, if, if, if that was my description of my relationship with my wife, you know, what are you thinking about the nature of our relationship? It, you know, if she overhears that, you know, as I'm t- describing it on the phone, you know, telling, 
How is she feeling right now about the nature of our relationship? Uh, you know, do, do I need to do those things? Is that part of our relationship? Yeah, all those things I said are true, and they are important. You know, she has more of a need for conversation than I do. And so I do try to go, okay, well, I need to make sure we're taking time to talk because she feels that need. I don't feel the need as much. And, and so, you know, the, those are all true things that I do for her and I do in our relationship, but that's not the point, right? Th- that's kind of describes an environment of our relationship. But, but, but if you were to ask me about her, I would say, well, she's my best friend. We've been through all of these things together. I mean, ups and downs, and she's always been there for me. And I love to laugh together. Sometimes we kind of complete each other's sentences, and we were so different when we started dating. You know, I, I was this artsy, kind of dark, uh, you know, subdued artist person, and she was this soccer player that only wore umbros all the time. And, you know, just people couldn't even see us together, you know. And, but but, but we've, we've grown so close together, you know, that, that we, 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 we know what each other are thinking sometimes. And we have conflicts, but we always work them out, you know, really quickly and and, uh, you know, we, 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 I feel like we're just journeying through life together, and everything's an adventure, the, the fact that we're together. You know, I, I, wrote a, I wrote a song for her when we were in college that uh, it said, I need you like one needs one to be two. And uh, uh, love with you comes naturally. And, uh, you know, over 22 years, our, our relationship has grown and changed, and it's gotten deeper, and it's gotten more rich. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I can't imagine ever being with anybody else. You know, she's my favorite person to do anything with. Now, you know, now how is she feeling? You know, now how am I feeling? It's, it's a whole different thing, right? Then, oh, yeah, I do the dishes because she expects me to. You know, and yet so many of us, that's really where we are with God, that he is this distant creator. And you think of things that you do in terms of, you know, th- you're thinking of your relationship with him in, things, in terms of things that you do. And yet, that's not how God views it, and that's not how we should view it. We should view it as a relationship. That God uses different metaphors for his relationship with us. You know, sometimes it's the potter making the clay. And that's true, you know. It, he's molding us. He's shaping us. And that's a good metaphor. You know, sometimes he's the master and we're the slave. And that's true. We've we got to depend on him. But you know what is used more than anything else? Even in the Old Testament, it's the husband-wife relationship. And that's not just New Testament. That's in the Old Testament a lot. In fact, there's a whole story where he, 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 he this whole, a whole book that's all one metaphor that God is the husband and we are the, a, a wife that is a prostitute that keeps slipping out on him. You know, that's the nature of the And that's, God is saying, this is, this is how I view our relationship. You know, God is a passionate and loving God. He, it says he's a jealous God. Uh, you know, that, that, that doesn't mean that God is mean or God is unfair. It means that he, he, he has intense emotion. And God loves us with a deep passion. So God, is a, God made those relationships. We are made in his image, right? So this passion that we feel in human relationships, it's a, it's a reflection of how things should be between us and God. I love kingdom weddings, you know. I love uh, seeing that, you know, the, the emotion that comes in together together. Uh, I love, uh, anybody, was anybody here for Elias and Rachel's wedding? Uh, okay, a couple of you. So th- this, was, this was cool because they were so, like, drunk with love that they were not even listening to a word that, that Marco was saying. And Marco's talking, and they're just like, you can just see in their eyes, they're just like, <laughs> looking at each other. And uh, they, they, had this, they were pure, you know, in the, in the, in the church, we, 
we really believe in, in trying to live by the Bible. So we, we, live, we have pure dating in the kingdom, which is actually so amazing because it's not about this physical stuff. It's, not, it's all about friendship. And you build trust. My wife and I dated for three years in, in the church, and we, we, we didn't have sex until we got married. And it, it built our relationship on purity. But Elias and Rachel, they decided not to even kiss each other until they got married. And so that was their, their big kiss right there. And so it was, it, was, it was like they were just totally tuning out Marco until that moment he said, you may kiss the bride. And I was like, it was like the most passionate kiss I've ever seen. Uh, you know, because they were, they were doing it God's way, it was really cool. But, but that's the analogy that God uses. It's I am the bridegroom and you are the bride. And I'm just so looking forward to being in heaven forever. Because right now we're in the betrothal period. We're like Elias and Rachel before. But, but what heaven is described as is that's the wedding day. That's when we're together forever. And so that, that, that should be the nature of our relationship with God. So we're going to look at a few verses in Ephesians just to help us kind of get Paul's heart about this. Ephesians, turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm not going to put it on the screen because we're going to read a little bit. Paul wrote this uh, about the same time as he wrote um, Colossians and Philemon. There's a lot of parallels between Ephesians and Colossians. And I'll talk a little bit more about the setting in which he wrote it here in a minute. But uh, in, in, in Ephesians 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, through whom he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And, you know, it goes on and on, but it talks about how amazing it is that we could belong to God. And it uses a different metaphor here of adoption, that God has adopted us as a son or daughter. And it, it, there are probably some here who are adopted. I know Steve Marici, who, who leads uh, South Bay, and, and we work together in the ministry, he was adopted. And when he was in... Uh, uh, in grade school, you know, he used to get picked on a lot. If, if you can believe it, he was actually once really little and, and, and small in size and uh, smaller than all the other kids, and he would get bullied. And one of his, and he, had, he says he had, had quite a mouth on him at the time that sometimes got him into more trouble. But one of the things that he would tell other kids was, at least my parents chose me because he was adopted. <laughs> at least my parents wanted me. But you know what, that... That is, uh, that is true for us, though, in God. Here it says he adopted us. You know, he wanted us. We're special to him. And Paul says he's lavished his love on us. He's given us his grace. He's so rich in, in, in his love. Skip over to uh, Galatians 2, verse 1. It says, I mean, sorry, Ephesians 2, same, same book. And you were dead in trans trespasses and sins in which you once walked 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among all, whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Isn't that true of all of us? We were following the desires and the passions of our bodies and, and what came natural. And, and we became objects of wrath where we deserved punishment. We deserved God's anger. And yet it says, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness for us in Christ Jesus. So this is interesting. It des- describes that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. What does that mean? Because we're not there now. I mean, we're down here, right? I think he's talking about a spiritual reality. That when we're adopted through God's love, our real place is now in heaven. And so as we are here, we're, we're on a journey. We're traveling. We're on our, our way somewhere. Nobody gets on a train or a plane and goes, okay, I'm going to make myself comfortable and I'm going to unpack all my stuff and find a, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, put my toothbrush here and, you know, here's where I'll sleep. And, you know, like, you know, I, I'm going to, because it's not a home, right? You're, you're traveling somewhere. You're on your way to your destination. And that's what this life is, that we're on our way to be with God forever. And so we're seated with him now. Our soul, it's like there's a, there's a connection. Our soul is already there in a sense. Does that make, you know, does that make sense a little bit? Like there's already a spiritual reality. That, like, that's kind of where we are already in our heart. And so as we sing, when we worship and, and when we're together on Sunday, to me that's the goal of, of this time now is that we would feel that, that we would sense that, that when we sing together that we would kind of get a sense of what heaven is going to be. Like the scripture that that was read earlier about revelation and that spiritual reality, that that's where we're headed. And and all of this is because of Christ's love. It says because of his great love, uh, the great love with which he loved us. And the the chapter we read earlier says he lavished on us this love. Skip over to uh, chapter 3. The interesting thing about Ephesians is that it's a very practical book in terms of what it means to be a Christian and things that we do for God. And, uh, and so we're not going to really talk about that necessarily today, but there's a lot of Christianity today that has become very watered down. And being a Christian means almost nothing in, in American society except, oh, I believe in Jesus, like that he exists. Or that even that he's a savior, that he's there to save. But, but the Bible says in James that even the demons believe in that. So, so there's something more that it means to be a Christian, and the Bible's pretty clear about what being a Christian is. It's just that people don't read the Bible or, or, or expect to follow it. And we're a culture, we're a, we're a family here where we're, we're trying to live by the Bible. Now, it's not to be saved. We just read we're saved by God's grace. But as a response, we, we try to change our life. And so Ephesians has some real specific things. In chapter 4, it talks about, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. If every one of us would just follow that, boy, so many relationship conflicts would just go away. Or marriage issues would go away. We just install that filter. Is this helpful for them? What I'm about to say. No. So you don't let it come out of your mouth. When we were kids, we used to do a family depot, and we would pretend like you have something to say, and you don't let it out. Like you're going to say, you're so stupid, and you go, you're so... You're so... 
And then we talk about, well, what were you about to say? Oh, I was going to say, she's so stupid. Oh, you, you didn't let it come out of your mouth, right? Uh, if we would just all do that, that would change our relationships. And Ephesians 5 talks about how there should be among us not even a hint of impurity or of any kind of greed. So there shouldn't be a hint. We, we, we know the impurity one. There shouldn't be a hint of impurity or sexual morality. And so that, that should be what our dating is like here. That should be what our... Relationships are like not even a hint of impurity, but it also says not even a hint of greed. I don't know exactly what a hint of greed means, but you know, you think about that. That that so that's very specific. Ephesians six talks about how we should carry one another's burdens. My point is that there's a lot of specifics about what our life should look like. But Paul didn't start with that. He spent three he spends three chapters just talking about how much God loves us. And so my point is that loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's a response to understanding how much he loves us. And I think Paul, that was Paul's mindset. And so that's why he started with God's amazing love. So in, in, in Ephesians 3, it says, For this reason, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard the, of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. So Paul, he says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And at the time he wrote this letter and uh, the book of Colossians and later the book of Philippians, he was in prison for his faith. So that was his environment. And so a lot of times we can think, well, the way I view God, I I can't view God as loving because here's my environment. Or I can't view God as gracious because I'm going through this challenge and this challenge and this challenge. Paul was imprisoned by the Roman Empire, by the Romans. And I can't imagine his environment was very happy and, and good. You know, uh, I, I have never been literally imprisoned. Uh, maybe some of you have. Um, the closest I came was uh, I was in Long Beach one time and, and my car had gotten stolen and somebody, somebody uh, uh, tore out the, the ignition switch. And so somebody at my work said, oh, you can just drive it with a screwdriver then. And uh, my, my wife and I were really poor at the time. And so rather than paying $80 to get it fixed, we just drove it with a screwdriver and we used that club because that was only $20. So I was over at the beach in Long Beach after I got off work. I was working as a waiter and uh, I fell asleep uh, before I was going to go pray. And so I fell asleep at this meter and uh, I woke, you know that feeling when you wake up and you can kind of sense somebody's like right there. So I woke up and I, I turned and there's a, a police officer there. And so my first thought is, oh my gosh, I didn't put money in the meter yet. So I'm kind of like, kind of scrambling. And he's like, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. And then he, and then he noticed that the screwdriver was in the ignition. And he goes, why is there a screwdriver in your ignition? And I'm like, ah, ah. he's like, get out of the car! So he got me out of the car, he's frisked me, he's like roughing me up and frisked me and seeing if I have weapons, threw me against the car. And I'm looking around like he's handcuffing me, you know, and I'm looking around because I saw people are starting to gather. Like. And so I go, I go, this is embarrassing. And he goes, this is it's going to be real embarrassing when I throw you in county, you know, or whatever. And uh, so then he, he threw me in the back of his car, his cop car, and, uh, you know, he's looking through. I, I told him where my ID was. I knew there was church invitations and my Bible in there and stuff. So I was like, maybe that will help a little bit. Because I was trying to explain what happened. And, uh, but but my, my wife and I had gotten married not that long ago, and so the car was in her name, and it's her maiden name. Uh, so, so they call her at work, and uh, she gets this call from the police department. And they're like, we've apprehended a suspect in your vehicle. 
And so she's like thinking for a minute, a suspect in my vehicle. And they're like, James Craig. And she's like, oh, that's my husband. Yeah. So all of her office was totally laughing at me. And, and uh, by the time it was all over, the cop was a lot nicer to me. He was kind of laughing with me and stuff. But, but my point, what was that? Oh, <laughs> uh, but the point was that the point was that okay, that was that was my experience with with the law, being in trouble, being in prison. I'm imagining that Paul's experience with the Roman centurions was not nearly that easy. Uh, I'm sure he was beat up. He says he was he was whipped. He was you know he was thirsty. He was hungry. He was I mean he's putting the stocks all night. I mean he he his environment was really 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 challenging. And yet, this is his description of, of Christ and, and, and Christ's love, as he says uh, in verse uh, 14, Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with your power through his spirit in your inner being. So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Would you say Paul was kind of down in the dumps? I mean, Paul is so on fire with, with just how amazing God's love is. And he's like, the only thing I want, when I pray for you guys, the only thing I want is for you to know how great God's love is. That's the only thing. I mean, and I'm just praying that God would give you a spirit of revelation. that you Because it's unknowable. He says to know what is unknowable. It's beyond knowledge how awesome God's love is. So even in a Roman prison, even, you know, even in this environment that was challenging, man, Paul was on fire for how awesome God's love is. So that's the one point I want want you to take away today, is that you would invest in knowing God's love better. Figure out, you know, you know what that means for you. How can I know God's love better? And it's, again, there's things that you do, but that's not the point. You know, there's things that I do to get to know my wife's love better. Do You know, we have time, spend time together. We go on dates, we do special things. There's things we do, but the point of it is to know her better. Right? So, so the, 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 the things that you do to know God better are not for doing those things. It's to know God, to understand His love better. Like, for example, reading a lot of passages of Scripture, just spending time. I mean, when's the last time you spent two hours and just read your Bible? There's times my thinking gets really off and negative. And I, my default, I'm an artist, so my default is just to kind of be negative. Uh, maybe not all artists are that way, but I'm definitely that way. Uh, and so, but, but, but something about just reading a lot of scripture, it changes my thinking and it helps my knowledge of God's love to, to get where it needs to be or having a special place that you go to be with God. You know, I have this mountaintop that I go near my house. I call it a mountaintop. It's really just a rounded hill. But, uh, when my kids were little, we, we named it the Mount of the Lord's blessing. You know how, how Abraham would name places and Isaac and stuff, so we named it the Mount. So even our kids in, in, in uh, elementary school, they're like, the Mount of the Lord's Blessing. <laughs> but, uh, but just going up there and being with God, sometimes just walking into that place, I feel so much better. I feel like, okay, my heart is, 
ah, I feel a weight lifted. Uh, there are certain people maybe that you spend time with that help you to know God's love better. Or, uh, you know, certain music you listen to or whatever it is. But, but make a decision today. You're going to invest in knowing God's love better in some way. And I, I want to give you an assignment to do this. And this is uh, something you can jot a thought down right now or you can do it later this week. But, but number one, I feel loved by God because. Just complete that sentence. And number two, I feel loved by God when. You know, if you would take some time uh, just to jot down some thoughts about that in your quiet time this week, or even right now, if there's something God puts on your, on your heart right now, that would be really great. Because, again, loving God is the greatest commandment. But it's really a response to how much He loves us. John says, we love because He first loved us, right? You guys know that one? John, uh, John 4, I think. First uh, John 4. Second uh, Corinthians 5.14 says, Christ's love compels us. Or the newer NIV translation, I noticed they changed it. It says, Christ's love controls us. We, we, we don't have any choice. When you see how much he loves us, you just have to respond. It, it, the Bible says he controls us. My, my son Marshall's 13, and he's a little uh, computer genius. And he, he was trying to help my, my, his grandmother, my wife's mom, who lives in Colorado with her computer, and spending hours trying to help her to kind of install this printer and do this stuff on her computer. She couldn't get it. So finally what he did is he figured out how to get her to download the software so that he could take control of her computer. So he remotely took control of her computer, and he fixed it all up for her. You know, my 13-year-old did this. She had to relinquish control. She had to sign a little, you know, accept that he was going to take control. But then, you know, he took over and and he, he, he may fix her computer. And, and so when it says Christ's love controls us, that requires that we, we let go. That you kind of go, okay, I accept. <laughs> you take control. But, but, but when you understand his love, it, it will have that kind of effect in our lives. It makes us who we need to be. And we're going to sing a song here in just a second. Your love makes me sing. I don't have any choice. I just got to sing because your love is amazing. It's steady and unchanging. Your love's a mountain. You know, it's the great songs we're going we're to close out with here in one second. So the singers, you can, that was your cue. You can come on up here. <laughs> so if you're studying the Bible, you know, uh, if, you're, if you've been studying the Bible for a while, there's nothing like understanding God's love to get you over that hump. You know, we all hit a hump. When you're studying the Bible and then you realize, oh, man, this means I've got to change. Or, oh, man, this means this. this. But when you really understand the cross, when you really understand what, what God did for us in sending Jesus it's a motivator. Maybe you're stuck spiritually, where, where you, you kind of got in a place where you're stuck. Well, the love of God is the answer. Understanding God's love, understanding His perspective, that's the answer to get you unstuck. You know, Jesus says, I'm here, I'm knocking at the door. Just open the door, and I want to come in and eat with you, and you with me. It's a relationship, Jesus says. That's a scripture that some of us that grew up in the Church of Christ, we kind of don't like, because we automatically think about praying Jesus into your heart. Well, who's it written to? It's written to stuck Christians. So stuck Christians do need to pray Jesus into their heart. Because, because you're stuck and you, you don't understand Christ's love. He's like, I'm right here. I'm knocking at the door. Just open up and let me in so that we can have the relationship again. So the love of Christ is the answer when you're stuck. Jesus' answer to the greatest commandment was so quick. It was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and strength. And then he, he never said it again, but he went all the way to the cross to show us how much... He loved us. Amen? Let's all stand, and uh, we're going to sing this closing song. I hope that you will invest in knowing God's love better. Amen.